Ladies, one day in heaven there's going to be a table that we all can fit at, believe it or not, <laughs> and many more around this table, and we're going to feast of the Lord right in his presence. But tonight, that's really what we're doing. We're sitting around the table of the Lord, and he is going to feed us with his word. He's going to give us living water, and he's going to encourage our souls. We're going to feast of the Lord tonight as he speaks to us, and he feeds us from his word. So I want to encourage you to open up your Bible to Psalm 27, and that's where we're going to focus tonight, and that's another one of my favorite chapters, and I'm so glad to be teaching on those favorite chapters this summer. There's just rich, powerful truth in each one, and they have, you know, the whole Word of God is, is rich and powerful, but certain ones have just become my favorites, and, and my hope is that by the end of this, this time together that these chapters are going to be your favorites too, that you're going to take ownership of them and love them and uh, just allow the Lord to minister to you continually through them. Um, if you read Psalm 27 before coming tonight or you're just getting it open, you're probably taking note that it's only 14 verses long compared to our 39 verses last week that you guys hung in there with me, and I really appreciate that as we work through that together. But, you know, there just was not a stopping place in Romans 8 because you got to look at the whole story. And if you didn't get a chance to be here last week, we want to encourage you, you can listen to that message online as well as access the uh, more study notes, and uh, you can do that for any of the sessions that we're having here this summer or share with um, your friends or however you want to do that. But tonight, our focus is Psalm 27. Much, much shorter, okay, but God has still given me a lot to share. And uh, my heart is so connected to this chapter, and I'm really excited about sharing it with you. And I want to just start off by reading the very first verse that says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Now, when I see that first part that says, The Lord is my light, it makes me think of a song that was released when I was about 12 years old. Some of you probably remember it. It was sung by a lady named Debbie Boone, and the song was, You Light Up My Life. And it became so popular. It really catapulted Debbie Boone into fame and some of the words if you've never heard it before and it's very hard for me to just say the words because i used to walk around my house singing these words but i'll i'll say them for you tonight you light up my life you give me hope to carry on you light up my life can anybody sing and fill my nights with song now debbie boone was singing that song it, it's a love song now, there's a line in that song, though, and many of you who know this song probably know exactly where I'm going because it sounded so nice until she got to this one line that said, it can't be wrong if it feels so right. Now, even as a young girl, I loved this song, and I'd walk around my house singing it, and although I didn't really know anything about truth at that point, something just didn't sit well with me when I would sing that part because I would think, do my feelings make something right or wrong? Because our feelings can get us in a whole lot of trouble, right? <laughs> they really, really can. See, if Debbie was singing that song to a man, and she said, you light up my life, and then she said, it can't be wrong because it feels so right. Well, there's some real problems with that because a lot of times what feels right in relationships between men and women is very wrong, okay? So that would be a problem. Now, Debbie actually said that she was singing this song to God, okay? 
But even that line, there's a problem there because that's some really bad theology, all right? It, it can't be wrong if it feels so right because we cannot base our relationship to God on feelings. Now, Debbie is the only one who knows who she was really singing that song to, and many people have since then recorded that song, and who knows who they're singing it to, and that's not really our focus tonight. Our focus is Psalm 27, and what it really asks us is this question that kind of relates to that song is, who lights up my life? Okay, who is the light of my life? What gives me hope to carry on? Who fills my nights with song? Now, personally, over the years, I have sung that song, You Light Up My Life, to many things that felt really good to me. But I can tell you they were really, really wrong, even though they felt really, really right. And they left me in the darkness and without much hope. Now, David wrote Psalm 27. And the more we're going to look at it, we're going to find that his circumstances could have easily put him in the darkness too, and really into a place of an emotional meltdown. Now, I don't know if you've ever had one of those before, an emotional meltdown, okay? They're really not just for two-year-olds, are they? <laughs> 25-year-olds have them. 50-year-olds have them. In fact, I think you are capable of an emotional meltdown up until the day you die, even if you live to be 100 years old. I'm 47. This past year has been pretty emotionally draining for me. And I'll just tell you straight up, I've had many many, many meltdowns and three major ones, okay? And hopefully that doesn't make you think really poorly of me. I'm just being honest with you. I'm pretty much as real as the next girl and I have very intense emotions and sometimes they can be really wide and high and, and nobody can figure out what to do with them, even me, all right? Only the Lord. But there are some people in this world, not a lot of them, but there are some people who have really stable emotions. You know, they're just steady people. I would not be one of them. My mother is one of them, okay? And I didn't get those genes, I guess, but my mother is a really stable person. And those of you who know her, you know that about my mom. But, and, and by the way, she gave me permission to tell this story. I don't always ask, but for this one I asked. And, um, and anyway, so she had at least one emotional meltdown in her life. There's a story in our family. She was actually nine months pregnant with me. She delivered me five days after this happened. I don't know if this catapulted her into that delivery or what. But um, it was actually Halloween night of 1965, and my mom was trying to get my brother and sister, who were three and one, and then she's nine months pregnant with me, so that just is enough for emotional meltdown right there. Uh, she was trying to get them ready to take them trick-or-treating. And she was also trying to fix spaghetti that night, and my dad was not home yet again. My dad worked a lot of late nights because he was a real estate agent and he was trying to take care of this young family and the emotions had been building all day long and my mom's standing in the kitchen with the kids, you know, standing there and belly out to here and she's trying to fix the spaghetti and all of a sudden her emotions just went through the roof and she took the whole box of spaghetti and just threw it all over the kitchen. Now, what did she have to do but get down on her hands and knees nine months pregnant and pick up spaghetti off the floor, which is hard enough to do when you're not nine months pregnant. So even my mom as stable as she is, can have an emotional meltdown. And just so you know, my parents, they're fine now. They've been married uh, 52 years and, um, and running. But it, it goes to show that anybody can get pushed over the edge just a little bit. Now, David is somebody that we think of as a man after God's own heart. 
Sure, he had his issues, but he wouldn't have been somebody that maybe you would think would have these emotional meltdowns, but he does. And if you read through the Psalms, you can see some of the emotions that he really struggles through. You know, I think I've had a hard year this year. And I don't know where some of you are tonight. Maybe you think you've had a hard year. Well, David, at this point, he had had a really hard year. In fact, he had had quite a few hard years in a row. We don't know exactly the time that David wrote Psalm 27, but we can put it in a general time frame. And it's probably around the time when he was running for his life from King Saul. And let me just kind of give you a little bit of background information about what would have been going on, the loss he would have experienced, and all the emotions that you can imagine going with all of this. David was falsely accused by King Saul, who was very jealous of him. In fact, King Saul had tried to throw spears at him to kill him. So much fear would have come over David that he literally had to run for his life and leave his nation. So he left the nation that he loved. He lost his home. He lost his wife. He lost his second family because he had been living there in the palace with King Saul and his family for quite some time, and they had become like family to him. He's living on the run. He's homeless. He doesn't know where the next meal's coming from, where any supplies are going to come from. He's tired. He really doesn't have any friends. The Bible actually says that some men kind of finally banded up with him, but all his friends he left behind, and now Saul has employed them to be running after him and trying to kill him. And so now these only men that he has with him, the Bible uh, doesn't use this word, but in our language we would call them losers, okay? So really he, he just has nothing going right in his life. And on top of that, many of you know this, I'm sure, when he was a little boy, Samuel the prophet God sent Samuel the prophet to come and anoint David as the next king of Israel. So this promise, this destiny had been deposited into his heart. And everything that was happening was going the opposite direction of that. Everything that God had promised was over here, and everything that was happening was over here. They were as far apart as they could get. I don't know if you've ever felt that way before. I mean, it can be really challenging to trust God just in the day-to-day -day of life, sometimes just to get from home to work and, and make it through the day. But if you're dealing with dynamics like this, when, when you know God has spoken some things over your life or you're, or you're claiming promises in the Word, but every time you turn around, something is moving your life in a different direction, I mean, that's really hard. It's really hard to trust God in those times. And for David, that's what was going on. And we could spend hours describing the struggles that he was having. And it kept getting worse. It was not getting better at all. And it's no wonder that David got kind of emotional in this time. I mean, I would have. I don't know about you, but, but I would have. Now, when people get emotional and they have meltdowns, all kinds of different things can happen. Some people scream. Some people cry. Some people just don't say anything at all. They just clam up, right? Some people speak really, really irrationally. Some people say a lot of things they don't mean, or they say a lot of things that don't make sense, or they just ramble on about things, anything and everything. Some people make some really, really bad decisions when their emotions are all over the map. 
Some people panic and they start blaming everyone and everything going back 50 years, thinking, oh, if this hadn't happened to me, I wouldn't be here today, and all, all of this. Some people get, get really, really angry. Some people shut down. Some people rev up. Some people throw boxes of spaghetti. I mean, all different kinds of things can happen in an emotional meltdown because we all process stress different ways. But when I read Psalm 27, it's clear to me that David has every right to be in a lot of emotional stress. But as I read this, and as I meditate on it, and I seek the Lord about it, what the Lord has been showing me over the years, and even just these last couple of weeks as I've been preparing to share this with you tonight, he's given me even a fresh way to look at that. Because what I see David doing, instead of having a meltdown, he's melting up. Ever thought about that before? Melting up instead of melting down? I never had. But a couple of weeks ago, God said that to me. Sharon, this is all about how David melted up instead of melting down. Even though he had every right, there was hurt and disappointment. We're melting him down. What we find as we look in this chapter is that David makes statement after statement. He does a, a different thing after thing. He, he makes these declarations of faith that reach heavenward when he really should be, by all intents purposes, just melting down and everybody would have said, oh, I understand, David, after they shot him, you know, or whatever. But, you know, that's the reason that I really love this psalm. Because David, who's a man after God's own heart, is modeling for you and for me how to trust God when life is just really hard. And I need that, and you need that, because all of us, just like we talked about in Romans 8, we live in a world that's broken by sin. If you think you're going to be immune to suffering, it's not true. <laughs> it's just not true. We live in a world broken from sin. But even though we live here, and even though many times things seem to be going every direction opposite of what God has promised us, we can trust God, and we should trust God. The very thing that we need to do is to trust God. But it's not going to come naturally to trust God. <laughs> the natural thing for us to do is to just endure our meltdowns, many or major, okay? And we all have them, okay? Doesn't matter your age, whatever. We all have these meltdowns. We express them in different ways. And the, the thing that we, most of us do is we just try to endure them and we expect other people around us to understand and to just work with us through the meltdown because you should understand what I'm going through, right? I mean, life's really, really hard for me right now. So you just need to put up with me. And then once it's over and we get through it, then our eyes are looking for something to light up our lives to make us feel better so that we don't have to deal with those emotions anymore. But what we find in Psalm 27 is David takes a different approach. He intentionally reaches up instead of allowing the stuff to melt him down. And the only reason he can do that is because it's the Lord who lights up his life. So tonight, we're going to look at what he did. We're going to look at some things that he said. We're going to see what he thought. And we're going to see some things modeled for us that hopefully you can grab a hold of one, two, or maybe a whole bunch of things to take out of here and use to be able to reach up yourself when life is trying to melt you down. David's example has ministered to me for years in this chapter, and I'll share with you a little bit more about that, but it still is ministering to me. Now, before we really get started looking at him, I do want to say this. 
Uh, I hope you know I'm, I'm poking a little bit of fun at this whole emotional meltdown mess, all right? I know that uh, those are really serious things for a lot of people and way more serious than throwing a box of spaghetti around the kitchen, okay? For some of us, life is so hard and so challenging and our emotions are so twisted up and have us so bound up inside and maybe it's been that way for so long we don't even know anything different and our emotions are raw and, and our faith is weak and we would just like anything to light up our lives. And so I understand that emotional issues, especially for women, are very deep, they're, they're very um, serious, and so we're not, we're not poking fun at those things, but I do believe and I have experienced that God has some real answers for us in his word because we all need to get to a point where we have to trust God. You're gonna get there at some point where there's nothing else to trust in. And really that's the mercy of the Lord showing you the best thing that you need is him. You need him to be your light. So we're going to just jump right in here, and we're going to look at it as it starts with the Lord talking about him being our light. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. You know, whoever or whatever lights up your life is going to be revealed when you get into a really hard situation. It's going to be revealed. You will know, and the people around you will know, what lights up your life. A lot of us have a tendency to look to other things or other people to light up our lives. Most often, for women, the, the probably the number one thing that we're looking for to light up our life is a man, okay? And, and, and vice versa. I mean, men often are looking for a woman to be the light of their lives. I mean, that's why you have songs like, You Light Up My Life. And God created that attraction. And it's a wonderful thing and beautiful and godly and holy when it's done in his way. But that person, whoever God gives you, should never replace him as the true light of your life. God alone is the true light of your life. And each of us as individuals need to choose him as the light of our lives. You know, the painting that we have out in the foyer uh, that represents this week's um, passage from Psalm 27. It was painted by an artist named Ashley Van Fleet, and I love her work, and it's just light and beautiful to me, but I love it because it's a picture of a lighthouse, and this is the verse on it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. And for those of you who don't know, we're auctioning those paintings in a silent auction over these four weeks. Next week, at 7 o'clock, we'll take the final bids, and then at the end, we'll announce who is going to get to actually purchase those things. But every um, penny from those is going to go to fund our Living Light local mission. Those artists have each studied their passage, and then we commissioned them, and they donated their piece of artwork, and they're beautiful. So I hope you'll take a look at those. But I love this painting because it represents the Lord being my light and my salvation. I actually did a little bit of word study on these two words, light and salvation. And light is really talking about um, how the Lord illumines our lives. He brings a brightness and, and a light, a joy to our lives. And then salvation is really about how he brings protection. Now, interestingly enough, as we think about many times women want a man to be the light of our lives, the word light is a feminine noun in the Hebrew language. And the word salvation is a male noun in the Hebrew language. And when I noticed that, the Holy Spirit said to me, I have it all. I have it all. 
okay? You're not going to find everything you need in that man, all right? I'm the, the male part, I'm the female part, I'm all of it. I'm the only true light. And you know what? Interestingly enough, too, in John chapter 1, Jesus is called the true light. And there's only one true light. And I want to talk about this for just a minute because every one of us need a true light. We have a tendency to substitute the true light with other lights in our lives. And really, you might be thinking, I thought we were talking about trust. We are. Because the only way you're ever going to be able to trust God is if you start with the foundation of him being the one who totally lights up your life. If that's not the case, you're going to struggle to trust him every single time. But he is the true light. If you think about this, true light is the only kind of light that can never be extinguished. Anything else that we look to to light up our lives, at some point it's going to get snuffed out. Maybe at some point uh, that person that you're looking to is going to pass away. Maybe that job that just, you know, makes you feel so special and important and gives you that zest for life, you know, you're going to get to a point where maybe they don't need you anymore, you know, or that company closes down or whatever happens or, you know, it could be, we, we could go on and on with the scenarios. But true light is never going to be extinguished. And true light can reach all the way through. But other lights can only reach so far with their light. Even if you have a wonderful best friend who you think she's the most wonderful thing in the world, there's going to be places in you that she can't touch. Even if you have an amazing husband, and I do have a wonderful husband. You know, we've been married 26 years, but there's things in me that he just can't minister to. He can't reach in me. The only one who can is the true light. And so I need to get to the place where I say the Lord is my light. He's my salvation. And a lot of people leave the light of the Lord out in some mystical, churchy, godly category. Oh, God's light, and he lights up the world, and the moon reminds me of God, and, you know, all these different things. But is he your light? Okay? Is he what wakes you up in the morning? Is he what gives you a, a zeal for living, a, an illumination to your life? Is he your salvation? Can you say, the Lord is my salvation? He's the one you look to for protection. See, these are foundational things because we all look to other things to be our light. I mean, it could be something as basic as coffee could be your light. <laughs> and you might laugh at that, but there's a girl in this room who, who she and I share a lot together. In the last couple of months, she said, the Lord has just really challenged me to give that up because I just get too excited about my coffee. And he's saying, I want your attention, you know? And so it's been a spiritual discipline for her to do that. But people look to all kinds of things to illumine their life, to illumine their lives. But the problem is those things eventually get extinguished, so then they're looking around for something else to light up their lives. We've got to declare over our own lives, and this is the starting point for trusting God. It may not seem like it even connects, but if you want to be able to trust God, the Lord has to be the light of your life, and he has to be your protection. He has to be your salvation. You've got to call him mine. You've got to choose that unto yourself. Then when life gets hard, you've got a foundation to build on for trusting God. It's always very sad to me when I see someone who has been looking for light 
in all the other places, and then tragedy strikes, and they are trying to find a place of stability in the Lord. And it's not that God doesn't hear their cries and, and put some mercy over their life, but they're just like just getting started, and so they don't have this foundation. And so things are so shaky for them because they've not been nurturing this choosing of God to be the light of their lives. I believe David had been personally nurturing the Lord as the light and the salvation of his life for so many years so that now when he gets to this season that is so difficult for him, he can say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And because of that, he can keep going by saying, whom shall I fear? See, because he knows the Lord is his light, he knows him personally as his light, he knows him personally as his salvation, David can say, who are you afraid of? Like he's speaking to himself. And see, that's another thing that we need to do when we're in a hard place of trusting God. First, we've got to remind ourselves that the Lord is my light. He's the one who illumines me. So who am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? You know, Franklin Roosevelt said this in his inaugural speech. It's a famous line. He said, there is no fear but fear itself, right? Now, that is a famous line. But it's not true. <laughs> it's not true. There's a lot of things to be afraid of, aren't there? I mean, we could, we could list a long list of things to be afraid of. But if the Lord, who trumps everything, sovereign God over all, is the light of your life, then you can say that, and it's true. I don't have anything to be afraid of, because I know he's mine, and I know I'm his, and he's got me for good. So David reaches upward by speaking to himself and saying, what are you afraid of, okay? I, I don't need to be afraid of it. Sometimes we just need to talk to ourselves. We need to get in the mirror and go, what are you afraid of? The Lord is your light. The Lord is my salvation. I don't need to be afraid. In fact, he goes on and he says, the Lord is the defense of my life. See, he puts fear in its place because he's already decided who defends him. And we need to know who our defense is. A lot of times we start trying to defend ourselves or we panic or have these anxiety attacks because things start happening and we think, oh, it's all out of control and I got to take care of all this and I got to fix all this. But see, David's talking to himself and he's saying, the Lord's my light. He's my salvation. I don't have to be afraid. He's the one who defends me. And see, we can say that back to the enemy, too. Now, David had real enemies coming at him, right? He had people running after him and hunting him down. They were hiding in caves and all kinds of things that you and I would never even want to think about doing. But you know what? We have an enemy coming after us, too. We have an enemy of our souls who is waging war in our minds and our hearts. And we need to know that the Lord is standing there defending us against him. And we have to know truth about what he says so that that will actually happen. But we need to speak to ourselves and remind ourselves who our defender is and stop trying to take that responsibility ourselves. That's a big lesson for me because I am a control freak and I want to take care of these things and I feel like I'm going to stand up for myself. When the Lord says, I'm your defense, can you trust me? Can you reach up to me and let me be your defense? We can trust in him. We can know he's at place of refuge. And then we can say something else to ourselves right here. It says, whom shall I dread? You can speak to your emotions. Do you know that? You can speak to your emotions based on what you know about your light, your salvation, your defense. 
You know, sometimes our emotions, like we said, cause us to do the craziest things. We think, oh, please, nobody come in my house. They'd see what I'm doing and think I'm a crazy woman. And you are, just like I am sometimes, you know? We do crazy things as these emotions just get us into a place of dread. And it's, it's way worse than throwing that box of spaghetti. I mean, we, we do some crazy things. But in those moments, I can speak to my emotions and I can say, the Lord's my light. The Lord's my salvation. The Lord's my defense. What do I have to dread? What do I have to dread? We speak to ourselves about these things. One of the things that happens when we're going through a really hard time and we don't know what the outcome's going to be, we don't know how to trust God, it seems like things are getting worse instead of better, we start saying things or entertaining things that the enemy of our souls keeps putting in our hearts that God has forgotten us. God doesn't care about us. I can't trust God. Is he even there? But see, when I know the Lord, my relationship with him is based on truth. It's not based on feelings, right? So even if it feels like God has forgotten me, I can speak to my emotions and I can say, I don't have to feel this way. I don't have to dread. This is a wrong feeling. See, it can be very wrong even if it feels right. <laughs> And if you're believing things like God has forgotten me, God doesn't care. If I'm believing those things, it's very wrong because the word of God tells me exactly the opposite. And the longer he's been being my light and my salvation, I've been getting to know him better. And so I know truth. I know truth that tells me he won't ever leave me or forsake me. He has a love for me that is everlasting. It was, it was there before I was even born, and he says that it reaches to the heavens. He works wonders far beyond what I can imagine. So he's always working, and he's putting puzzle pieces in place that I don't even have a clue about. And see, these are the kinds of things that I can entertain in my mind instead that don't have anything to do with dread. They have everything to do with reaching up because God's doing a work. Even though I can't see it, what does truth tell me? Not based on my feelings, it's based on truth. The word of God tells me he's with me whether I'm on cloud nine or whether I am in the pit of hell. Look at Psalm 139. That's what truth says. It's not based on my feelings. The word of God tells me he's trustworthy even in death. That my salvation seals me with him. I'm always going to be connected with him. So he's the light. And it will be that way forever. So what do I have to dread? And so see, I have to reach up with those kinds of thoughts. I have to speak to myself. You've got to speak to yourself and reach up, not let these emotions just slowly but surely melt you down to where you have these emotional meltdowns. We know these things. And so it just propels us forward to be able to say even this. Listen in verse 3. Or verse 2, he says, When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. What is David doing right here? He's going through this emotional, man, things are hard. But you know what he's doing? He's recounting the things that God has already done. He's going through the history book of how God has worked in his life. You know, as David had been on the run from King Saul, there was one skirmish after another. 
But God protected him. You can read all about them in, in the books of um, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and see all of those things going on. And that's not to mention all of the other battles David had fought in God's strength. I'm sure the Bible doesn't tell us about all of them, but if we look in, in the Word of God, we find out as a boy David killed a lion and he killed a bear in God's strength. We find out that he killed a great uh, Philistine giant named Goliath, even when everybody else was running in fear, all the older guys, and he's this little boy. And in God's strength, he killed this, this um, Goliath. He, he, he won all these holy battles, taking down tens of thousands at a time, the Bible says. So now, as he's Fear is, is just coming up in his heart, and dread is trying to make its way and, and push him down. Instead, he reaches up and he says, oh, but let me remember what God has done. Let me remember what God has done. When evildoers came after me, this is what happened. Oh, yeah, the Lord, he's good. He, he'll take care of me. And he reminds himself what God has done. And ladies, that's what we have to do, too. When you're struggling to believe God, the very best place you can go is to the last thing that God did for you. And remind yourself, to remind yourself of how capable God is and how faithful he is to say, yeah, back then it didn't look like things were going to work out either. And look what God did. And you know what? If you can't find something in your own life, then call one of your sisters and say, tell me something that God did for me. Because a lot of times they can remember, but you can't remember. Don't say, tell me something God did for you. Say, tell me something God did for me. Because you know what Satan will do if you say, tell me something God did for you? He'll say, yeah, but that's not for you. That's only for her, right? So you need to remember what God has done for you personally because you're the one who's trying to trust God. And this has got to be about you and him. He's got to be your light and your salvation. We all have a history with God. Are you breathing? Did you get up this morning? Well, God gave you that breath, okay? So if that's all you can find to say thank you, Jesus, for, well, you find something that he's been doing, and you just start recounting that history until your faith has raised your arms up to him, and you're reaching up. You're not melting down. If you walk in my house, there is a scripture painted on my four-year wall, and it's from Psalm 105, but it's really based out of this right here. I looked for this passage because I wanted to find something that told me to do what David's actually doing right here. In Psalm 105, it says, Seek the Lord in his strength, Seek his face continually, remember the wonders he has done. And God gave me that as a principle of spiritual discipline that I need to live by so that every morning when I walk down my stairs, I see that to remember. Because many days I wake up and I could be really discouraged. But I can remember some of the things that God has done even if I can't see what he's doing right now. And what that does is then it gives us a confidence to be able to continue to trust God even in the moment when we don't see him working. Listen to what it says here in verse 3. I love this part. It says, Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. The war arise against me. In spite of this, I shall be confident. You know what David is doing? He's deciding today what his attitude is going to be tomorrow. He's deciding this minute what his attitude is going to be in 10 minutes. You know, you think about this. When you're having a really hard time with something, most of us we'll figure out what the plan would be to fix it, right? And that's what we pray for. And we tell our friends, if you'll just pray for this, because I know this will make it all work out, and this is what we need God to do. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong, okay? God gave us a brain, and we, we are smart women, 
and we can, we can think through things, and God gives us discernment and clarity and wisdom. We're going to talk about wisdom next week as we look at Proverbs 9. We've got a great feast of wisdom, the Bible tells us. It's not wrong to do that. But at the same time, what we have to do to gain that confidence and to raise ourselves up is we have to allow ourselves to go to the place of even if the very worst thing happens, I can still be confident in the Lord. Let me tell you what David did here. What do you think was the very last thing he wanted? Another battle? Another host of people coming against him, right? But what does he say? Though a host encamp against me, my heart's not going to fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. So he was putting his faith and his trust in the Lord, even if the worst thing he could imagine still happened. And I think that's the reason he was able to trust the Lord and reach up, because he had already diffused the worst thing that could happen. I think we can learn a whole lot from his example. And this year I have. And, and really, each one of these things to me builds on the next because you can't do this if you don't really know that the Lord's your light and your salvation. This year, we've had some really challenging things going on. And as things got more challenging, I would find myself saying, okay, take a deep breath. As long as this doesn't happen, I'll be okay. Or as long as God just does this by this date, then, then I'll be okay. Well, God had a whole lot to teach me about trusting him. And he showed me when I prescribe outcomes to him, what I'm really doing is I'm trusting an outcome and I'm giving him a job to do. And who am I to give God a job to do? And so when everything would get worse instead of better, what I would do is I would have a mini meltdown or three times I had a major meltdown this year, okay? But little by little, especially even through this passage this year, the Lord is teaching me to reach heavenward, to melt up instead of melting down by allowing myself to go to the even if and deciding ahead of time that I'm going to trust God. And see, here's what you have to do. It's hard to go to those places. It's painful sometimes to go to those places. It hurts to go to those places. But it really reveals to us who the true light of our life is. Because when you have to think through that, you think, would I still be okay? Would God still have me? Would God still be on the throne? If the worst thing happened, what would take place? Could God still work? Could, could God still bring me what I need? Yeah. And you know what? Then you diffuse all that fear. You diffuse all that dread, and you have just done a major melting up in that moment when you go to those even-if places with God. And it builds a confidence. That's what David says. He says, in spite of this, even if it happens, I'll be confident. In other words, I'll trust you, God. I'll be confident that you're still God. You know what you're doing. You've got a plan. Now, does that mean that I don't pray for what I hope for? Oh, I pray for it. But that's not where my trust is. My trust is in the Lord God, the sovereign one who is the light of my life. So we follow David's example here. And we allow ourselves to prepare for the hard things. And part of that preparing is also getting our desires in line with things that are holy. And a holy reality, I like to say. Listen to what David says in verse 4. He says, one thing, one thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, 
to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. You know, we ask the Lord for all kinds of things, don't we? We've got lots of desires and we pray for those things. But you know what? When the Lord is the true light of your life, you end up with one desire that is so far above all the other desires. And that's just to be in his presence. And sometimes he allows us to go through some really challenging things to realize how much the rest of this stuff is not a true light and his presence is. His light in our lives is the one thing. And David has gotten to this point. He says, one thing I have asked of the Lord, that I shall seek. And I think a lot of times we have a hard time trusting God. It goes back to the, to the issue at the very beginning. The Lord's not truly the light of our lives. So really, yeah, we'd like to come and be in his presence, but what we really want is for him to fix this over here because that's really the light of our lives and we need it to, to shine brighter. And God's saying it's not going to shine brighter. It's, it's not going to reach far enough. I'm the only true light. Moses figured this out too. You know what Moses said to the Lord? He said, God, if your presence does not go with us, just kill us all because it isn't even worth it. And that's what David is saying here. He's saying, Lord, the only thing that really matters to me is that I get to be in your presence. I'm done trying to figure out the rest of this stuff. I don't understand it. Lord knows I can't figure out how to fix it. <laughs> it's been going on way too long and I don't have a clue what you're doing, God. But if you'll just get me in your presence, I'll be all right. Just bring me to your presence, Lord. And when we put our desires in that holy order, we trust the Lord. Because you know what starts happening as we do? We behold his beauty and we see some amazing things about God that we wouldn't have seen if we weren't in his presence. And we meditate on some of his truths. And those truths are like a healing balm in our soul that just do something to us. And it, it presses us up. It, it helps us to reach our arms up and melt up. And listen to what he says in verse 5. He says, For in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle, in the secret place of his tent. He will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. This is what Jen was talking about with the, with the tent during our worship time. You see, when we get in the tent of the Lord, when we start reaching heavenward, he hides us away. Some amazing things happen. And I think David had been in this tent before. I think that's why he knows these things. <laughs> He's experienced them before. Have you ever been to somewhere that you really like and you're like, oh, if I could just go back. And that's basically what he's saying. It's like, God, I can't figure all this out, but if you will just get me into your presence, Lord, and I know that when you do, that you, you conceal me. You, you get me out of all this chaos, God. And you hide me in your tent, and it's safe there. And you put my feet on a rock. Instead of all this shaky mess going on around me, you put my feet on a rock. And, and, and I feel secure there, God. I love this next part where it says, my head will be lifted above my enemies. It doesn't say he takes our enemies away, but he says, my head's lifted up above them. And most of the time, where's the war really going on? In your mind, right? And so he lifts you up above that. I have experienced that so many times this year where this peace just comes over me where my head is not involved in all the chaos. Chaos is still going on, but I'm hidden in the tent of the Lord, in his presence. I've sought him out because he's the light of my life. I'm reaching up because I can trust only because the Lord has been merciful enough to show me that's what I need to do here. 
And what happens then is then this joy starts bubbling up in us that doesn't even make sense because we're going through a really hard time and we should be all downtrodden and having a meltdown. And, and that's why people might look at people who can trust the Lord and say, how are you not like falling apart? That's because the Lord's hiding you away in his tent and he's doing this work in your soul and you've got a, a song of joy in your heart and you've got praise for the Lord on your lips even though all this stuff is going on around because you trust the Lord. You've been melting up when anybody else would be melting down. And rightly so. No, you're melting up because you trust in the God of heaven. He's the light of your life. And once you experience that time with the Lord, the presence of the Lord, you want to be there again. And so you'll cry out to God for that. It, it will be the, the burning desire in your heart. Even though you don't understand what he's doing, you know how good his presence is. And so you cry out like he does here in verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me, and answer me. When thou didst say, Seek my face, my heart said to thee, Thy face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide thy face from me. Do not turn thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Do not abandon me, nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. Do you hear what David's crying out for? He's not saying, God, fix this. Take Saul out of my life. Kill him. Get rid of these people. Take me back to Israel. Make me the king. He's not talking about any of that, is he? What's he talking about? He's saying, God, hear me. Listen to me. I have to know that I'm right with you. And see, that's the place we want to be because then we've got this trust going on. We want to cry out boldly before the Lord. And the more we do that, this like momentum happens where you'll do it again and again. These things are happening. You don't understand why things are spiraling out of control, but you're reaching up because you know the best place is just get me in the Lord's presence. Don't understand the rest of this, but just get me in your presence, God. I'm crying out to you. I need to know you hear me. As long as that's okay, it's like a mother quieting a, a crazy child, whispering in their ear, shh, it's going to be all right. And what does that baby want? That baby just wants the presence of the mother, right? And in the same way, the Lord quiets our souls as we cry out to him, and we keep coming before him boldly again. We keep crying out. And sometimes that's all you can do when you're trying to trust God. Just cry out. Reach up. You don't even know what to say. But do not allow yourself to be melted down. Raise your hands up in the air and say, God, I don't even know what I'm asking for. But I just need to know that you hear me. I need to know that you're with me. Don't turn me away in anger. I know you don't because your salvation is over me and I'm sealed in Christ. But so, Lord, would you just hear me? You cry out. You just do that and you're reaching heavenward. Listen to what he says here. It kind of takes a whole turn in verse 10. He says, my father and my mother have forsaken me. Now that seems to come out of nowhere, <laughs> and that's what people do when they're kind of melting down emotionally or, or being pressed down, okay? David's still being pressed down, but he's purposing to reach up. And so sometimes you just say the craziest things. You remember a past hurt, okay? Or all of a sudden something raises up in, in your soul and you just start talking about it. If you can look at David's statement this way, you know, some of the worst pain that I think could ever happen to someone is for their father and their mother to forsake them. To say, I don't want you. And some of you probably had that happen in your life. I would imagine in a room this size, you know that kind of pain. So that, to me, represents some of the deepest pain there is. So if we can kind of just place that in a, in a category here and think about it this way, no matter how trying the circumstances, 
how frustrating the details get. Listen to what he says. He says, the Lord will take me up. The Lord will take me up. Now, it doesn't mean for David that his parents didn't forsake him. We just don't know for sure if that actually happened. Okay, The Bible doesn't really say what happened to his parents. Um, it could have happened. It could have happened. Or maybe his parents had recently died. We don't, we don't know that. Or maybe he had experienced some rejection from them in some way. Maybe they were blaming him for this happening. Maybe he had gotten some kind of a message that they were really displeased with him and, and wanted him to go back to the palace because now he's you know, messed up their family name. I mean, who knows what was going on? Or maybe he's even talking about Saul because Saul was like a father to him. We don't really know what the situation is. We just know it hurt really badly for him. But what does David say? He says, the Lord will take me up. And we need to remember, ladies, in the worst of hurts, Okay, whether we're even thinking about him rationally or not, because sometimes we don't think rationally, right? When we're having those emotional meltdowns, we don't think rational. But even in the worst of hurts, if we can just remember this truth, the Lord will take me up. He'll take me up. I don't have to melt down. He'll take me up. He'll give me some truth. He'll minister that into my soul. And that's what David says next. Even as he's speaking in verse 11, he's asking the Lord to do that. He says, teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. See, his path is really shaky because his foes are after him. He says, do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. See, these are emotions. <laughs> these are like, God, you know, these people are crazy. They're coming after me. They're violent. What, what are we going to do about this? But you know what David says? If we can look here in verse 11, he says, teach me your way. Teach me your way. And if one of the ways that we reach up in trust is just to humble ourselves before the Lord under his protection. And say, God, I don't have all the answers. And maybe you need to teach me some things. Maybe I need to learn some things here. Would you teach me, God? Would you show me your freedom way for me? Would you show me your freedom story for me? Teach me your way. Humility goes a whole long way in trusting God. Because you realize I don't have all the answers, God, and I need to learn of you. I need to be led. And in saying that, we're melting up. We're not allowing the circumstances of life to melt us down. I want to keep reading here in verse 13, and just so you know, this is my favorite verse of the whole part, okay? The one that originally connected me to Psalm 27. It says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Just like David, a lot of us have some real issues going on. And maybe you're in the midst of them right now, or maybe you're remembering them, or maybe you sense them coming. Two falls ago, the Lord spoke to me very clearly. I was in a church down in Florida. I'd been down there speaking at an event, and I was um, visiting someone and had gone to church with them the next day. I was just in the middle of a worship time, and the Lord spoke to me so clearly, and he said, we're going through, Sharon. We're going through. And it was like I saw a video of, of people in the Word of God who went through some really hard things. Daniel in the lion's den. Noah and the ark, and I'm like, God, I was just worshiping with you. What are you talking about? And I just kind of tucked it away. I had no idea what was coming. 
and what we've been living through in the last couple years that has been so difficult. But you know what? The Lord knew. And maybe tonight you even, you got this sense, or maybe God has gone before you like he did in my life to show you some things are coming. But we're going to go through and see, that's a real word of encouragement to me. That's like a promise to me, like when he spoke to David and put a promise of him being the king. God said we're going through, so that means you're going through, you're going to get out on the other side. We're not just going to get stuck in this mess forever. We're going through, okay? So it doesn't feel like right now to me we're going through. It feels like we're stuck in the middle and we're going to be here forever. Come on, Lord, how long? But that doesn't mean that's true. And so I have to know and I have to put this trust in the Lord. So even though we can look around us and have lots of reasons to despair, and maybe for you tonight you have some real reasons to despair, and I'm just letting you know I, I do too, okay? And you would despair, and I would too, except the Lord is your light of your life, and you believe in the goodness of the Lord, so you absolutely cannot despair. <laughs> See, this is a protection. This is your salvation, that the Lord is the light of your life and your salvation. We all have lots of reasons that we could despair. Life is hard. Can't believe this happened. This has been going on forever. It only gets worse. It, it all seems to just be out of control. The future looks bleak. I don't have any hope. I can't stand this hurt another minute. My insides are racing. There's all reasons to despair. But see, you've been reaching heavenward, and you've been having the light of life just shine over your life. And so you cannot despair. I would have despaired unless I had believed, unless I had reached upward melting upward into the goodness of the Lord that knows he's my true light. He defends me and protects me. He's a refuge for me. I've been in his tent. I've been under his wings. I've been seeing his beauty. I've been standing on his rock. He's been working in my head and lifted it really high up above all this stuff. And so I've been getting to sing praises. And, and he takes me up and, and he leads me in his way and he teaches me. So even though all this stuff is going on that gives me a reason to despair, I cannot despair because the light of life has been shining on me. And he's my light and I know him, so I trust him. And we wait on him. And that's this last part. Verse 14, it says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Now, we hear that word wait, and we have a very negative connotation of that word, don't we? We immediately think negative passing of time that never ends, okay? Whether it's in a line at the doctor's office waiting for some mail or the email, whatever, you, we think that's wait, okay? And that is wait in our culture, but this word wait, this is not that word. This is the word kava. And it means to look up with anticipation and hope. That's what the word means. To look up, to melt up with anticipation and hope. You know your God. You know he's the light of your life. So you don't melt down. You melt up. You allow your heart to take courage. And that's the last thing that we see David doing here. He allows his heart to take courage. Now this isn't saying you need to really muster up some courage here, honey, and, and get it together so that you can, you can look up. It's all, it's all about you getting it together here and mustering up courage. That's not what it's saying at all. It's saying you're free to take of the courage that the Lord gives you. He says, let your heart take courage. God's saying, I got all this courage, and I'd love to give it to you. Would you let me? Would you open up your hands so I can put it in your hands? Can I put it in your heart? Can I, can I put it in your mind? 
so that you can take courage, so that you can, instead of looking down, you can look up, you can wait on me and let yourself melt up. You willingly receive what God is offering, and God is always offering hope. He's always offering the opportunity for us to trust him. These last two verses, verses 13 and 14, are really a life conviction for me. I don't really have a life verse, but if somebody were to say, what's your life verse? This is the one I would say if they made me answer, okay? Verses 13 and 14. I personally spent a lot of years dealing with depression over some things that hurt and really didn't make much sense in my life. I grew up singing a lot of songs about trusting God, hymns about trusting God, but I didn't have a clue what that really meant. The older I got, I said, oh, I trust God, but I really wasn't trusting God. But I can remember exactly where I was standing, what I was doing when the Lord spoke these two verses into my life and when I heard them for the first time. When my kids were younger and we lived down in Atlanta, I was a stay-at-home mom, and funds were tight, and so I cleaned three houses a month just to make some extra money. Really didn't enjoy doing it, but you know, sometimes you, you got to do what, what you got to do. And uh, I was cleaning this house, and I was in the bathroom of this house cleaning the sink, and I can remember the sink was pink. So anyway, I was in a lot of emotional stress at the time, which was pretty much a way of life for me. It was a cycle. Depression was always luring me and getting me to fall into its pit, and, and I often did. But I had been newly seeking the Lord. I had, he had given me this new love for his word, and so this whole new relationship of, of learning that he was really the light of my life. I wouldn't have said it necessarily that way at that time, but there was just this whole new budding relationship with me and the Lord. So I was just trying to get all that I could of him. And so while I was cleaning houses, what I did was I would listen to Christian radio or Christian TV because I didn't have to have Barney on, okay, like when I was at home, and I could listen to something that would feed my soul. It's like if I got to clean these houses, at least I'm going to let the Lord be feeding my soul. So this teacher was on, and she was talking about Psalm 27. I had really never read Psalm 27, but I'm just listening, scrubbing out this sink. And she reads these two verses. I would have despaired, and immediately my ears perked up, because I lived in despair. And so I'm listening as I'm scrubbing. She says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. And I listened to what she said as she began to minister this word to me. And I found out that hope and trust in the Lord are really based on relationship with him. Not into what I can see here, but reaching up into all that he is. And I listened to her and she said this line that I have never forgotten. She said this, she said, despair is the last step you take before you fall into the pit of depression. So if you don't allow yourself to despair, then you're never going to fall into that pit of depression again. And I want to tell you, God set me free that day. I have never been in the pit of depression since that day. Now maybe that's why my, yes, praise God. And I'm telling you, that's the only reason. And maybe that's why I like pink so much, because that sink was pink. I, I, don't, I don't know about that. I just know that God did a really good work in my heart that day. But it happened as I put this scriptural principle 
into practice in my life. And let me tell you something. Despair comes knocking at my door every day, just about, saying, you should really be upset. You should really, really get down about this. You should feel really hopeless about this. Don't you despair about this? But see, I can't because the light of life is shining into me. And so I believe in the goodness of the Lord. So I would despair unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And because the light keeps shining on me as I'm allowing the Lord to minister his light into my life, it literally is a protection for me against the pit of depression. Now, there have been many times I've come real close. I'm like, right here. And, and Satan is just telling me all the reasons I have to despair. And I'm like, but I learned, no, you can't despair. Because you believe in the goodness of the Lord because his light's been shining in your life. Don't allow yourself to despair and you won't fall into the pit of depression. Might sound super simple, but ladies, it's worked for me for 18 years and I praise God about that. It's kept me reaching upward to realize the goodness of the Lord is always there. Doesn't matter what's happening here. The goodness of the Lord is always available. Am I willing to reach up and trust in him? You know, as I've gotten to know the Lord better, it's really through many of the principles right here in this psalm of Psalm 27 that the Lord has just said to me, these are the things that you can in, 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 in put into your life. You can implement these things into your life to help you reach up instead of melting down. Now, obviously, not perfect at it, right? I've already told you I've had lots of mini meltdowns and some major ones this year. This has been a really hard time, okay? But at least I have something to go, okay, what am I supposed to be doing here? Yeah, this will work. Let's get our hands up in the air and let's trust the Lord because I don't have to melt down. I'm going to invite Kelly Nobles to come up, who's been our host this time. And um, Kelly's going to share with us about some things in her own life where she has had to learn to, to melt up to. Some of you might know some of her story, but I know a lot of you don't. And so she's just going to share some things with us. And we're just going to kind of sit down here and have a little chat. So, hey, this is a typical situation for us, isn't yeah, it? <laughs> yeah. so. so like Sharon said, many of you have heard my story, and I share it often only because the Lord is, it's, we're three years in, and he's continually changing it and freshening it up. And I'm telling you, he's squeezing every bit of truth he can out of this situation. But for three years, I have been battling a very serious health condition and very um, chronic pain basically, to put it bluntly, making everyday tasks to be very, very difficult. They're very hard for me, and I don't, I don't want to go into a lot of detail about the disease and the disorders that I'm facing, but anyone who has faced distress or emotional issues or chronic pain, they know how taxing that that can be. And I know, at least for me, this journey brought me from a really high place in the Lord to a very low place for me. And my life became a series of meltdowns. And it still happens from time to time, but God's grace is, is yep. good. <laughs> so my husband, Eric, and I have four beautiful daughters. And that relationship really began to suffer because I was off in one of my many meltdowns. They weren't many either. They were major ones and um, each hospital visit and there were quite a few resulted in some sort of freak out stemming from fear 
um, I have been in that pit of depression, and that was another meltdown where I was just too sad to even get dressed. Here I am with four beautiful kids, and I can't find the strength to do that. Or some people understand the um, meltdown of alienation when you push everybody you love aside because you believed a lie that no one understands. No one will be able to communicate to you how hard your life is. Or even having the um, meltdown of self-pity or offense that other people's lives get to go on and I'm stuck in this mess. And you believe another lie that they're going to go on and they're going to forget about you and no one really cares anyways. And the worst one for me was at the peak of the pain that I had when I actually asked the Lord to just take me home. Because if this was life, I didn't want it. Now, the facts of my disease had sucked the hope of healing that I had right out of me. I'm sorry, I've got my back to everybody. Okay. It had just sucked the hope right out of, of me. And I gave in to those things. And the Lord began, because he's faithful, he began to light up my life again with opportunities to put his truth over the facts of what I was going through little things began to happen. Prayer opportunities, prayer meetings I really didn't want to go to, but someone would kind of pull me in and opportunities even like with established footsteps to come to women's events and connect with other people. And as the light of his truth began to sink in, I began to want to be in his, in his presence some more. And I started to realize that I didn't need an explanation from God to help me get through those meltdowns. What I needed was to experience the light of his truth daily and learn how to melt up. And his light gives me the hope that I need to choose this over the facts of what the doctors tell me. His truth over the facts of this disease is bigger than my pain. Yeah, yeah. Praise the Lord. I mean, and it's been a joy for me to see Kelly walk through a lot of these things, and I know she puts a lot of um, principles, a lot of these that we see in Psalm 27, these are not all the principles for reaching up and trusting God. These are just some. But so Kelly, I wanted you to tell the ladies too about some of the things that the Lord has had you to employ in your life, Certainly. maybe some from here and other things too. It, there wasn't a grand moment. I mean, I had moments where my face was on the floor and I was, you know, up to, you know, my, my head in tears, but it was a slow teaching and it's, it's, the Lord has done that a lot in my life. And he gave me some spiritual disciplines, much like in Psalm 27, things like seeking his face, being in his presence, purposing to speak truth over the facts that I keep getting, getting told by these doctors that you're going to die or this, this disease could take your life. You know, these are the things that help my flesh fall away and strengthen my spirit so that I can choose to trust him and to keep looking up. We tend to look at our circumstance and not look on things of the truth. And I cry out to him often. And even more recently, he's taken this truth a step further, and he's asked me to apply the same principle to my 
physical body. So not only am I exercising presence with him and, and strengthening my spirit, he has asked me to apply the same principles to my body. And he's given me opportunity and provided a gym partner and um, a place to go work out where I can try different therapies, different exercises, different things to um, strengthen my body. Because over the years, my body has gotten very weak from all the surgeries and just, just really been um, physically attacked. And I've been faithful to do those things, and it has not been easy. And in the midst of this, I was contacted by a surgeon who had not met me. My, my current surgeon gave my, um, all my test results to him in an email. And he got hit, my stuff came around his desk, and he called me. And so he had never met me. He'd never seen me. All he saw were my scans and my test results. And so he said he had a surgery that could help me, possibly. And this surgery is very expensive. It's very dangerous. And he's one of two surgeons in the country that actually does this surgery. So there's the added expense of flying back and forth, as well as being away from my family for several weeks. And it just sounded a little daunting to me. So in discussions, he looked at, he looked at me. He's on the phone. So he says, so I'm looking at your scans. I, I'm, I'm guessing you don't walk very well. And I said, well, actually, I do. It hurts, but I walk. And he said, well, I know you can't run. No, I'm up to about five miles when I do run. And he's just blown away. He's like, this shouldn't be. He said, but you're telling me this, so I'm believing you. And I just have to tell you, there's a study that just came across my desk that said... There are two options for patients like me. This disease is, is kind of rare in all the different factors that affect me. And he said, you can either do the surgery route, and very few people are even afforded that because, like I said, there's only two surgeons that are brave enough to do this surgery. Or you can try exercise and therapy. And he said, so it sounds like you've been trying those things. And he asked me to dig deep and figure out have these things really made a difference. And he said, but the results of this test showed that surgical patients replied with an immediate result, just fantastic results, but long-term, their symptoms came back. Sometimes they were worse. Sometimes it, the, um, they required another surgery or, or more invasive procedures. But the exercise patients required, um, it was a very long, drawn out thing, and they said that they didn't get very good results right away, but long term, their results were much better medically, and their overall health improved, and very few of them had, um, had new symptoms develop. And so, of course, my husband and the surgeon and I all in prayer and just decided that we should just continue on with this exercise thing. And just this weekend, my husband and I had talked about it, and we have seen some subtle differences. And I'm excited about that. And I just want to share with you ladies that oftentimes choosing to stay in his light is not always the quick fix that we're looking for, kind of like that surgery that is so tempting for me. But when you choose his way to do it slowly and to persevere, you can guarantee that the results are gonna be more life-giving, they're gonna be full of hope, and you're gonna have the tools that you need to continually reach up no matter what 
comes at you. I think, I think that's the thing. I think that we end up, we want such a quick fix. Mm-hmm. We just want God to zap us and, and take care of it, right? Yes. And that's what I love Kelly's story, and I, I knew that this is something God's been working in her, and it just goes right along with this because really these are things that David is having to practice every day. These are like disciplines. The, even this morning, early, I was at a body pump class. We were doing lifting weights, you know, and um, the Lord spoke into my spirit. He said strength training, but it wasn't for my arms and my legs. It was for my spirit, you know, and we need that strength training. These are strength training exercises that we can do in Psalm 27 or other things that the Lord shows you for how to be able to reach up amidst things that are really, really heavy in your life. But it doesn't happen like that. And that's really not the way that the, the, the Lord works in our lives, I think, because you know what? The light that he gives is going to shine forever. <laughs> Never stop shining. Never, ever stop shining. Can reach far and shine into anything in our lives. And so we want to nurture that kind of disciplines in our lives. That's what we want to do. We're going to enter into a time of prayer. And when you came into the room tonight, you got a pink card. If for some reason you didn't get one of these pink index cards, raise your hand and some of the ushers will jump up and, and make sure that you get one, okay? And you can just do that quietly if the ushers will take care of that. But what I want to talk to you about as we close this out and, and move into a time of prayer is we have some ladies that have been praying, a group of ladies that have been specifically praying over July 23rd and all the ladies that were going to be here tonight and all the needs that you have that they don't even know about, they've been lifting those things up to the Lord, praying over you, praying you here. Probably some of you said, said, I'm not coming, and then just something propelled you to get in the car and come anyway. Because God had an appointment with you here tonight. He wanted to talk to you tonight. And these ladies don't want to stop praying for you now. They want to keep praying for you. They have a heart for you. They've been praying through Psalm 27 over each and every one of us, myself included. So we gave you this card so that you can write down on this card something that you need prayer for about trusting the Lord. For instance, I put my card here up on the thing. It says, I need prayer for trusting God through some big disappointments. Sometimes it's hard to trust God when we're disappointed. And I signed my name. You don't have to sign your name. You know, you don't have to do this. But why would you refuse prayer? It's one of these crying out boldly to the Lord. Somebody else is going to help you reach up. And so what we want you to do is to write that out on the card. And in a minute, we're going to sing together about the Lord. And we want to encourage you to come up and just as a symbol of saying, Lord, I'm choosing you as my light and my salvation to put your card underneath the lamp underneath the light that represents the Lord being our light. And then this week, we're going to hand those cards. We'll divide them out amongst these ladies who have been praying, and they will take your needs to the throne throughout this whole week, and you will be prayed for very specifically now that we know exactly what your needs are. Something else I would encourage you to do, if the Lord has really spoken to you about one of these things that David did, Maybe about many of them, but maybe one of them that you're going to try to walk out of here and start putting into your life as a spiritual discipline to help you reach up, to strengthen yourself to reach up, even in the midst of some really hard stuff. Maybe write that down. For instance, I wrote on the bottom of mine, I want to reach up by speaking faith and not fear. Because as I've gone through some of these disappointments and they just don't seem to let up, sometimes it seems like the disappointments are just going to keep rolling in. And I get really afraid of that because I don't want to keep living like that. But see, I don't have to dread that because God has me. 
And I've gone to those even if places, but I have to practice these things every day. It's not a quick fix and then it's done. I have to practice these things. And so I want one of these women to pray that over me specifically this week. And so when I come down off the stage, I'm going to put my card there. And so I would encourage you to do the same. If you would also like for one of these ladies to specifically pray over you while you're up here, feel free to put your card there and then walk over to one of them and they will pray for you then too. Or you can go back to your seat and, and just enjoy the song. But I really encourage you to reach out, to cry out boldly to the Lord. Ladies, God has a huge heart for us. He wants us to be able to trust him. His goodness is so high, so wide, so deep. And we could despair, but I know that we're believing we're going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So instead, we're going to reach up. We're going to melt up tonight and trust as we cry out boldly to him and sing to him. And ladies, I also want to say, I know that some of you are dealing with some horrific things right now. God's big enough for even those things. Anything and everything. His love never fails. A mighty fortress. 